Green Sense Show is sponsored by CEA Technology, providing a sustainable modular indoor growing system. Visit CEATECHN.com to learn more. I'm Robert Colangelo, and this is Green Sense, where we bring you eco innovations that are changing your world. Not too long ago, people only had a few ways to get around, mainly planes, trains, and automobiles. Now transportation has exploded with options. One option that has been in the news lately are e-bikes. You have seen the compact personal vehicle. They look like a cross between a small electric motorcycle and a bicycle. But unlike motorcycles and bicycles, some manufacturers want to create laws that prohibit consumers from repairing e-bikes themselves. Is this protectionism of IP? and reoccurring revenue streams or concern for human safety. Here to tell us more is Maddie Stone, a science journalist based in Philadelphia who recently wrote a story on e-bikes for Grist. Maddie, welcome to GreenSense. Thank you so much for having me, Robert. Well, you're a science journalist. So give us a little background. What kind of articles have you written in the past? Yeah, so uh, broadly speaking, I cover clean energy technologies and the energy transition. And when I say the energy transition, I mean the transition away from fossil fuels and the technologies needed to get us to a world that runs on low carbon energy sources, of which um, e-bikes are a key technology in many ways. So let's talk about it for those who haven't seen or rode an e-bike. Give us a general overview. What's an e-bike? Yeah, well, I think your descriptor as sort of a cross between a motorcycle and a bicycle is, is a pretty good one, but an e-bike is essentially a bicycle uh, with a motor and a battery. And so it's a bicycle that gives the rider a little extra oomph so that they're not doing all the work pedaling just by themselves. So you've got this motor that's connected to a lithium ion battery. So kind of similar to the batteries inside your smartphone or your laptop, but a little bit bigger. So you can think of these batteries as a big version of a smartphone battery that essentially powers a motor that powers what's called a pedal assist system. So that's a system that the um, e-bike rider can often tune up or down to give them a specific amount of assistance so they can you know, pedal along, but they've got that motor there propelling them forward a little bit more. And this allows people who use e-bikes to pedal longer than they would be able to on what's called an analog bike now, a traditional bike, and go a little bit further, which can be very useful for people who are commuting to a job that's a bit further away and don't necessarily have easy access to public transit or a car. Uh, how far can you go on a battery charge? How far can you go on a battery charge? That's a great question. I myself am an analog bike user, um, but I've heard that e-bike riders can go, um, you know, at least dozens of miles. So I rode an e-bike in Denver a couple of months ago. It was fun. It was a great way to get around, but I only pedaled a little bit and I use the electric motor more. And what I found is if the battery died, it would be very difficult to propel the bike by just pedaling alone. They're pretty heavy and mm -hmm. uh, the, you, you really needed that assist to make that go. So uh, I, I assume you, you're an analog bike rider. Have you ever ridden an e-bike? I haven't ridden an e-bike. I've tried e-scooters in San Francisco, and uh, I found the experience of sort of getting on a scooter and having it shoot up a hill, you know, one of those 
uh, hilly San Francisco Ooh. streets, a little bit jarring. Uh, it took a little bit of getting used to. E-bikes and e-scooters are often classified uh, similarly as light means of transportation. They're facing similar regulatory hurdles these days. So I have not had experience riding an e-bike, but I have ridden an e-scooter and it was it was an interesting experience. Yeah, I rode e-scooters for quite a distance and uh, lots of fun, but very dangerous. You hit a pothole or come to some kind of abrupt stop, you could be yeah. feeling some pain. So Absolutely. Our show's on sustainability and it features innovators that typically have cost-effective solutions uh, to making society more sustainable. Are e-bikes good for the environment and how can they help society be more sustainable? E-bikes are very good as a solution for helping reduce the carbon footprint and the climate impact of transportation, which is one of the largest climate polluters. When you think about the whole economy, we have the power and electricity sector burning fossil fuels and oil to produce electricity, generates carbon emissions. And then we have the transportation sector. And those are the two really big offenders when it comes to producing these greenhouse gas emissions that are causing climate change. And e-bikes, because they are powered by a battery, um, are not you know, burning oil, burning gasoline, they're using electricity. And if that electricity comes from clean or renewable energy sources, that has the potential to really drive those carbon emissions down to almost nothing. And there have been some studies showing that the average e-bike rider produces, you know, a minute fraction of the emissions that uh, someone who hops in an SUV or any sort of gas-powered car to take a similar length trip does. And so e-bikes are a really great tool for driving down emissions. They're a really sustainable choice if you're thinking about, you know, what's my next um, vehicle going to be. But there are also some environmental concerns with any technology when it comes to, you know, the resources used to make it, ensuring that it lasts for a long time so that we don't need to continually manufacture new ones, making sure we're moving toward solutions that aren't disposable, that are going to last, that are going to, you know, help us reduce our reliance on finite resources. So in general, they're a great substitution for a gas-powered car or an electric vehicle, which requires a lot more resources, but there are still some sustainability challenges that we need to be mindful of. And one, they're climate impaired. I'm from Chicago, can't ride an e-bike all year round. It gets pretty cold and snowy here, right? <laughs> definitely, definitely, yeah. And so, I mean, you know, depending on the climate you live in, depending on the geography, there are going to be better or worse mobility solutions. So e-bikes, aren't for everyone, but for a lot of people, they are a low carbon and much greener alternative to driving. Well, let's get into our real issues here. On August 14th, 2023, e-bikes made the news. Unfortunately, it was bad news. It's because their batteries sparked dangerous fires. Tell us more. Yeah, so this has been going on for several years now, but there has really been a lot of media attention zeroing in on these e-bike battery fires over the last few months. Unfortunately, we've seen a number of fires in major cities around the country and also around the world. New York City has emerged as something of an epicenter for these fires. And that's probably because, A, there's a lot of people in New York City. B, there's a lot of people using e-bikes in New York City. So they've become very popular with delivery drivers 
and, you know, folks who need to get around town quickly as, um, as I said before, kind of a, an affordable option, a great alternative to a car if you can buy an e-bike for a few hundred bucks. But there are better and worse e-bikes out there. And unfortunately, the market is beginning to be um, what some industry observers describe to me as flooded with these cheap online direct-to-consumer e-bikes. So these are bikes that are people are purchasing off Amazon from manufacturers, often in Asia, that are coming into the country um, and whose batteries don't necessarily meet these industry safety standards. And so what appears to be happening is folks will, you know, take the battery out, charge it at home at night and something goes wrong. And all of a sudden there's a battery. Burns down. <laughs> House burns down. Exactly. Yeah. And so this has been happening over and over again. Uh, it's hard to pinpoint the cause. You know, there's been some reports coming out recently on this and, um, the general cause is typically the battery, but it is hard to say more than that. Sometimes these fires will be attributed to charging. Sometimes they'll be attributed to um, somebody maybe opening the battery up. But in general, we know that these batteries are, um, you know, there's high levels of voltage in them. They are dangerous. They need to be handled carefully. And if they're manufactured in a substandard way, they can unfortunately lead to these devastating fires. So the manufacturer's reaction to this was to launch an educational campaign, and they uh, wanted to promote the recycling of dead and broken batteries. Besides the education campaign, how did the manufacturers propose to remedy the situation? Yeah, so manufacturers have, you know, been engaging with this issue for some time now. So there have been talks held by the Consumer Product Safety Commission, um, which manufacturers have participated in discussing best practices for the industry, discussing those safety standards and um, how to engage more manufacturers in meeting those safety standards. There has been the recycling campaign that you mentioned. So there's a big push now among manufacturers to get people to return their uh, old e-bike batteries. So like the battery in your phone, these batteries eventually become depleted of charge and need to be replaced. So there's an emerging campaign to get people to return those batteries to a dealer so that they can be safely recycled and don't sit around in a drawer or a basement waiting to spark a fire. Um, and then the third thing that manufacturers have been doing in addition to you know engaging with state and federal uh, regulators and, and launching this battery campaign is going to lawmakers and asking for exclusions from bills that would increase access to repair. And so there are these so-called right to repair bills being uh, adopted in state houses around the country that essentially want to level the playing field between manufacturers and independent repair shops by mandating that manufacturers make spare parts, repair tools, and technical documentation available outside of their authorized sort of ecosystem of dealers. So they need to make them available to the public and to independent repair shops. Unfortunately, so the, oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, unfortunately, um, this, this concern over battery fires has <laughs> sort of put the manufacturers of e-bikes 
in this position of conflict with rights repair. They are concerned that these laws are going to make it easier for people to open up their batteries at home, tinker with them, and potentially lead to more of these devastating fires. And so we've seen a couple of instances in recent months of a trade group that represents bicycle manufacturers asking for explicit exclusions from repair laws on the grounds that there are these dangerous battery fires that may be potentially caused by people trying to repair their bikes and their batteries. So maybe I'm not clear on this. Are, is, are the manufacturers trying to limit owners of bicycles uh, on how much they can repair them, them themselves? Is that? That is effectively what they are doing by and, asking for exemptions to these rights repair laws. Now, I did. So interview... let me just follow up on that. So what does that have to do with fires? Because that seems to be a much broader uh, spectrum of coverage than just dealing with fires. And I'm not sure that the manufacturers actually dealt with the remedy of the fire situation. Have well, they? it's a great it, it's a great question. And I think you're on to something there that they're not necessarily getting to the root of the problem with the fire situation, because what these laws do is they tell manufacturers that, you know, if you make a technical manual available to dealers, you have to make it available to the public. Now, that technical manual might cover all kinds of repair things. It might cover, you know, motor repair, various electronic systems, some of the analog systems in the bike. It might not really say anything at all about here's how you crack open the battery and try to fix it. In fact, most manufacturers do not offer any repair services whatsoever. Uh, the e-bike repair experts I spoke with said that if there's a problem with a battery, the manufacturer asks them to send them back for replacement. And so if the manufacturers are not furnishing battery repair services, these right to repair laws do not compel them to make battery repair available to the public. It's about leveling the playing field between what they offer manufacturers and what they offer the public. It sounds like an overreach to me, and it sounds very similar to what John Deere tried to do to restrict farmers from repairing or modifying their tractors. And as of January 9th, 23, Engadget uh, reported on their website that farmers now have the right to repair their John Deere tractors themselves or through independent third parties, ending that len lengthy uh, battle with the agricultural machinery company. So it sounds like there's precedent out there for that not to happen. And it to me, this sounds like an overreach, is it? You know, it, it feels a bit like an overreach to me. Um, I dug into this um, by speaking with advocates, speaking with e-bike repair shops, going to the industry, reading the text of some of these rights repair laws. And I couldn't find a compelling case for uh, asking for a wholesale exemption or restriction on e-bike repair solely on the basis of this battery issue. You know, as one rights repair advocate said to me, People are going to fix their stuff, right. whether or not you give them permission to. But maybe they could do it a little bit more safely if they know what they're looking at, if they're working with the right parts and the right tools. And as you said, it's very analogous to uh, the arguments, the anti-repair arguments that Deere has made over the years, and also that consumer technology companies like Apple have made over the years. There um, is a long history in the manufacturing world of arguing for repair restrictions on grounds of safety. You know, Apple has said it's 
not safe for people to open up their iPhones and swap out the batteries. And so to right to repair advocates, this position that the e-bike or the bicycle industry is taking on e-bikes has a lot of echoes of what other manufacturers have said about other products. And um, those folks are, you know, they're changing their tune. They're, they're making repair more accessible in the face of widespread consumer pressure um, and political pressure and regulatory pressure. Well, and especially motorcycles and bicycles. Motorcycles were born out of freedom. And uh, people like to repair their own motorcycles and bicycles. And so I wonder, is this a case of a new industry not being able to keep up with growth? You know, they've got an emerging market there. And are they just protecting their IP, intellectual property, and reoccurring revenue stream? Or are they trying to monopolize service mm-hmm. revenues? The latter sounds uh, to be the case. So, you know, as you, I, I, just to jump in there, as you said, there is a long-standing culture of repair within the bicycle community. And I think that's why this, uh, this new stance sort of rubs people the wrong way. It's like, you know, for more than 100 years, you've been able to figure out how to take apart and fix your bicycle with relative ease. The parts are often very standardized and swappable between different brands. Now we're entering this new world of e-bikes where everything is proprietary. Everything is um, sort of a one-off system that is manufactured for a specific make and model of bike. And then when that bike goes off the market, you're, you're out of luck if you need to find spare parts. And so people are becoming frustrated with what they see as the bicycle industry moving in an anti-repair direction. So with everything going on these days, we have an ex-president with multiple indictments. Never happened before. We have a war in Ukraine. We have an uncertain economy. Why should our listeners care about this issue? Well, I like to think of right to repair as sort of the great unifier. You know, there's there's so much in our politics these days that polarizes us. Um, but across the political spectrum, across the socioeconomic spectrum, people seem to agree that you should be allowed to fix your stuff. And, you know, if you buy something, it's yours, you own it, the manufacturer shouldn't be able to tell you what to do with it. And unfortunately, as products become more digitized, everything from our washing machines and our refrigerators to our cars and our bicycles, manufacturers are finding new ways to lock products down, to, you know, tether service to uh, their ecosystem of repair and software updates. And, you know, that is ultimately bad for consumers. It limits their options. It forces them to, uh, in some cases, upgrade or replace a device that they might have been able to fix um, if they had access to the information, if they had access to a local repair shop that had access to the information. So it's about fairness. It's about equity. It's about independence. And it's also about the environment. You know, um, there are these other, there, there are so many issues for us to be concerned about. Climate change chief among those issues. And in order to fight climate change, we really need to do something about our disposable throwaway culture. Um, you know, 70% of the carbon emissions associated with your iPhone come in the manufacturing. 
the greenest thing you can do as a consumer is hold on to the devices you have. And the best way to ensure you can hold on to the devices you have is to be able to fix them and maintain them over the long run. So this is more than just e-bikes. It's about the right to repair. Absolutely. Wow. Mandy, thank you so much for being on the show. It was really a pleasure to speak with you and uh, appreciate what you do to cover these complex issues and make them digestible for the public. So thank you for being on Green Sense. Thank you so much, Robert. This was great. My guest this week was Maddie Stone, a science journalist based in Philadelphia who recently wrote a story on e-bikes for Grist. Visit the GreenSenseShow.com website to learn more about sponsorship. I'm Robert Colangelo. Thank you for listening to Green Sense and check out the Green Sense Minute every Thursday and Saturday on 105.9 FM WBBM Chicago. Green Sense Show is sponsored by CEA Technology, providing a sustainable modular indoor growing system. Visit ceatechn.com to learn more.